Good, Pastor Pool. I like that. At least it's not like the Pastor Kentucky Derby or something like that. That would be, that would be worse. But, uh, man. Um, you know, uh, there's, been, there's a lot of good things going on. God's doing some good stuff in people. Uh, let's see, R- Richard, Richard Brady got a job. That's pretty cool. Yeah, celebrate that. I don't, I don't know where he is, maybe. But, uh, yeah, praise God. I mean, God is providing. God's doing some great stuff. Like Debbie said, there's some real need out there. As, you know, the seasons move on, it doesn't get easier for some. But, uh, uh, oh, and then Clint, this morning, Clint, like, came up here for prayer, for healing, and was healed. Went back to serve the kids, you know? That's the way we do it, you know? That's the way we do it around here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't teach the kids this week. Oh, it's all right, we'll just pray for you to be healed. No, he wasn't saying that, but, you know, he was like, I got to teach the kids, someone pray for me, and then he got healed. So that was kind of cool. He told me on his way to to serve the kids. But, uh, yeah, good stuff. God's doing good stuff. There's a lot of good testimonies uh, we'll want to share with you soon. But uh, glad you're here. And uh, hopefully we'll all have a good July 4th, chilling and having a good time. I know I will. Well, turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 8. All right, second second book in the New Testament, Gospel of Mark chapter 8. And I want to continue talking about this word here, the gospel with power. And if, if you were here last week, you remember this, that I showed you in the Word of God, I showed you in the Scriptures very clearly, that the full gospel is the gospel with power. That to separate the power of God from the gospel, and of course we mean the gospel, that Jesus is the Savior and died for our sins and all that, but if you separate power from the gospel. It's not the full gospel because we have a real king who really died, who really rose again, and he's the king of a real kingdom. Amen? And that when the gospel goes forth, the message of salvation goes forth, we're proclaiming Jesus. And it's amazing to me that people could separate Jesus. You're preaching Jesus. We're preaching Jesus. And they... Oh, he's just the savior of eternal salvation now. He's not the healer. No, no, no. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the savior. He is the healer. He is the soon coming king. He is the baptizing spirit. You know, and I said last week that, uh, if you remember, I said to tell, to have the gospel without power is like the ice cream man without ice cream. I mean, it's just the silliest thing in the world, right? So now... So you'll want to listen to that part of the message. It was really funny if you missed that. But anyway, well, I thought it was funny. I don't know. I thought it was a good point. But we can't separate. We can't segment the gospel. We need the full gospel, gospel with power. And what the Lord is doing in us as a church is causing that faith, and causing that uh, understanding to rise in us. He's wanting us to give our lives for the gospel, but, but the full gospel, the gospel with power. And we, we t- we're talking about how, what that's going to look like, and we're going to talk about that all summer. How do we do that? You know, real simple. It really does just begin with us getting in the lives of people, you know, maybe two or three people that you're going to invest in that don't know the Lord. And really, it could be as simple as you just being in their life, loving them, being Jesus to them, and praying for them. Praying for them when they don't know, but also like they're sick, they have something going on in their life. Pray. It could really be that simple. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to continue to build up our faith in that, that we would receive the gospel with power. I'm sure there are people here who need healing and, and breakthroughs in their life. They, 
many people here need the kingdom to come tangibly in our lives. Uh, and it's, like I said, it's not like an appendage to the gospel. Not like we're adding on to Jesus. We're just giving Jesus to people. Hi, would you like to meet Jesus? And when, when, when Jesus comes, he does all that kind of stuff. But not only do we need to receive it, we need to give it, right? And so I want to talk to you today from Mark chapter 8, just... Um, I want to share something with you that's really powerful, actually. This is really powerful. And uh, I I believe that what I'm going to share with you today, this principle, is one of the most freeing and one of the most empowering truths that we'll ever hear. Something that is, is very powerful, but we don't like to hear it. It cuts at us. It, 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 it just cuts at um, our self, our flesh. But, but every true believer craves to hear what I'm going to share today. We crave it. It awakens our spirit. It empowers us because we are born again, right? Those of us who are Christ followers, our spirits are born again. Christ is living inside of us. We crave to hear what I'm going to talk about today. We crave for it. It builds us up. But we don't like it because it cuts away at things that are not of God. You know, I was thinking about it just this morning, because honestly, I hadn't even, I mean, like, I don't, I don't talk to Jesus and say, well, Lord, it's July 4th, we need to talk about independence today. You know, I don't tell Jesus that. I ask him, what does he want to say? Uh, and he doesn't revolve around an American calendar. But, you know, praise God for our uh, political freedom and all that. <laughs> but I was thinking, like some people shared today, like, it's Independence Day, like, this is really freeing, what I'm going to talk about. This is really freeing. And I, and I didn't think, I didn't correlate the two, but... Um, so here it is. We're going to start in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, and then I'll make sure you, we understand the context of this, and then I'll, I'll just, and then I'll, I'll hit you with this. So, uh, Lord, Lord, speak to us. Here we go. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. When he, referring to Jesus, of course, had called the people to himself, so a huge crowd... With his disciples also, which isn't just the twelve, it's referring to followers of Jesus, people as well. He said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and of his holy angels. He says... Whoever wants to come after me, whoever wants to be my disciple, is going to have to make a decision to deny himself or herself, to take up their cross and follow me. It's a big deal, isn't it? It's serious. You don't get to say, well, I really like that salvation stuff. I'll take the ticket to heaven, but I don't really want to be a disciple. I'll just be a believer. That you don't get to choose. I like that salvation stuff. 
I like Jesus being Savior, but I don't really like that whole king of the world thing, coming back to reign over the world stuff. Like, I don't know if I really like that lordship stuff. I'll just take that. We'll deal with that later on. You don't get to do that, do you? You don't get to come to Jesus on your own terms, do we? He defines the terms of the relationship right? He defines what it means to be a disciple. And every believer is a disciple. Every disciple is a believer. If he's not Lord, he's not Savior. Amen? He must be Lord in order for us to receive salvation. So he's, he's inviting people to salvation. He's inviting people to receive forgiveness, to follow him as Lord. And he is saying, he's describing what it's going to take. Now, you know, the context of this is really interesting, actually. Most of us know the story, but if you back up a little bit, you'll notice that the the story starts with Jesus hanging out with his disciples, and he says to them, hey, who do you guys think that I am? Or no, I'm sorry, he says, sorry, he says, who do you think, who do people say that I am, right? What's the popular opinion? You know, what's the Gallup poll on me, you know? And, uh, and, and, and they say, well, you know, 35% of people think you're John the Baptist resurrected, you know, so, you know, 27% of people think that you are, uh, uh, you know, Elijah, you know, that kind of thing, right? They're giving him the, you know, oh, some people think you're a prophet, some people this, some people do that. And of course, that's true today, isn't it, right? Some people think he's a good man and a good teacher, and they like Jesus, but they, but they somehow find it convenient to subtract the places where he says things like this. <laughs> or, no man can come to the Father except through me. They don't like that part, right? they just like, oh, we like the love part. And, um, and so, you know, people like, oh, he's a prophet, he's a good man, and that kind of thing. But Jesus then says, who do you say that I am, right? It's probably one of the most important questions we need to wrestle with. Who, who do you say that I am? And of course, we know the story. Peter says, well, you're the Christ. I mean, it's like, I mean, seriously, though. It's, there, should, there, there must have been theme music when he said that, right? There must have been it. I mean, the crescendo, like it was like, no, 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 no. It was like, you're the Christ. And there must have been like this, like, you know, 10 second crescendo of music or something, because it was like, absolutely profound. At least that's probably what happened in the spiritual realm. The angels were like, oh, you know, because he said something on earth that was truth. He spoke back to Jesus. You're the Christ. And you remember Jesus was like, whoa. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, Peter, you didn't get this just because you figured it out. He said, the fathers revealed that to you. Right? You got this through revelation. And, and, and so, I mean, seriously, wow. <laughs> Peter's like, yeah, look at me, I got revelation. <laughs> you know? And then, the moment that Peter acknowledges, and I think all the other disciples were like, I was, I was just about to say that. Me too, Jesus, me too. You know? Jesus says, I want you guys to understand that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed by men. What? Yeah, yeah. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be betrayed by Jewish leaders. He's going to be crucified by Roman officials, beaten, and he's going to die. Like, huh? Right? What? And then he says, oh, and he's going to rise again on the third day. They didn't hear that part. I don't think they understood. And Peter takes Jesus aside, right? And he goes, now Jesus, let me explain this to you. You're the Christ. I just said you were the Christ. I mean, the Christ is supposed to rule and reign. The the Christ, the Messiah, the King is supposed to come and bring God's kingdom, make everything right. You're not supposed to die, basically, is what he's saying. And plus, that just didn't sound very pretty and nice. And Jesus, in verse 33, turns around, looks at all the disciples, and rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. 
For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. He says, Peter, stop that. In fact, he rebukes Satan, right? That was the source of this idea. Peter, or Jesus, you're not supposed to die. Get behind me, Satan. This is why he came, right? To die for our sins. This is the will of God, was it not? He said, no, not my will. Your will be done. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of my Father and to finish what he started or finish what he called me to do. And Peter's suggesting something otherwise. And he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you do not have, you are not thinking about the things of God right now. You are not thinking about God and God's will. You are not concerned about the things of God and the things of the kingdom of God. You're thinking about you. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the things that men think about. Self-preservation and your own self-interest. You're concerned about you. And so he gathers everyone together. And it's interesting because if you read through the Gospels, you'll find that there's more than one occasion that Jesus said this, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He said it all the time, actually. If you read the Gospels real closely and you see all four Gospels, you'll actually find that he told many of his parables often. In different contexts, he told these things often. This is what he would tell people. This, was, this is the invitation to be a disciple. But I want you to understand something. Who's he talking to right now? Who's he addressing? In light of what? Or isn't this Peter who just confessed him as the Christ? Isn't this Peter who, prophetically speaking, he's going to be the leader, the first leader of Jesus' church, right? Isn't this Peter and the disciples who have followed him, Right? They are the ones who dropped the nets. They're the ones who left their businesses. They, 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 were, they were middle class. It was a very small middle class back then. And they were middle class fishermen. Left everything, followed Jesus. Who is he talking to? He's talking to people who have left all for him, isn't he? Who am I talking to today, primarily? Faithful church. People who have said yes to Jesus, Amen. You said yes, amen? Anyone here? Said yes to Jesus. Lately? Yes, right? Yeah, you saved, right? <laughs> Whew, okay, making sure here. I mean, I know you're saved. I know you're saved. Just making sure you know you were born again, right? You are in Christ. You're like, yeah, amen. You've confessed Christ as your Lord. And yet, the same call to deny self that would go to a non-believer to invite them into the kingdom or or to, let's say, a complacent Christian who's just, you know, doing things their own life, own way. It's the same thing that he says to every single one of us. He says it to Peter. He says it to the disciples. Does it make sense? This call to deny self, this call cuts deep. And it always calls us to more abandonment to him and more of his lordship in our life. And there's always a deeper place. There's always stuff that's going on in our life that needs to be addressed, doesn't it? Because the moment any of us say to Jesus, oh, mm, I don't think so, Jesus. And we begin to tell Jesus what Jesus should think and what Jesus should do and what's most important, right? The moment we start complaining, the moment we start telling God and dictating what God should do, right, and trying to manipulate or make excuses, is the moment that Jesus says, stop. Let me remind you of something. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
Listen to what he's keep. Let's listen again, verse 35 again. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, listen, and the Gospels. Do you see that? Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. That's what it means to have the thoughts of God on our hearts, to be concerned about God and what God wants and God's will and God's kingdom rather than mine. See what he says? That you and I must lose our life for Jesus and the gospel. So here's the most freeing and powering truth I find. It's not about you. It's not about you. And it's not about me, is it? Can we all just say that? Just tell the Lord. It's not about me. It's not about me. Doesn't that feel good? That feels good, huh? It's, oh, it's good. It feels good to do that. It's not about me. Who's it about? It's about Jesus. And what's he about? The gospel. And you can't separate those two. It's the man and his mission. It's why he created the world. We've been talking about this for a while now. Just getting this into our hearts. Getting us to see God's heart. And what's God doing? What's the mystery that he's been about from the creation of the world? That every single thing was created by Jesus and for Jesus. That he is... The reason and the purpose for all of creation. That Psalm 2 says the nations are his inheritance. That Jesus Christ really will be the king and rule on this earth and the nations will be his inheritance. And that he came and he died on a Roman cross and shed his blood to do the will of the Father to purchase you and I with his very own blood. My goodness, he loves you and I so much that he would do that for us, right? So that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could come into his kingdom. And he says to those people who would come to him, he says, in my words, it's not about you. Do you realize that? It's not about you. You didn't create the world. You didn't promise the world to my son, the father says. You didn't come up with the idea of salvation. I chose you. I'm the source of this. It wasn't your wisdom or your plan. You didn't execute it, right? We were the ones dead in our sins. We were the ones who had rebelled against God, and yet he loved us so much that he would die for us. And he says to us, it's not about you. It's about me and my gospel. Now, only Jesus can say that, right? This, this is the most reasonable thing for him to say. You know, I've been thinking about the fact that, you know, we've been growing a lot in God's love, that, that, that God loves us and delights in us. And we need to receive that. And we need to walk in the reality of his blessings and promises for us. Now, when I say it's not about you, I don't mean it's not for you. I mean, Jesus is absolutely for you. But this is so much bigger than us, isn't it? 
And, and we've, we've said a lot lately, in fact, I think Jamie sang it over us, that was really cool, that perfect love drives out fear. His perfect love drives out fear. But you know another thing his love does? It says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says his love compels us to do what? If you read it, to share the gospel. Not only does his love bring wholeness and healing in our life, but his love is what motivates us. You guys remember 1 Corinthians 13, right? The, the love chapter. And after Paul describes love, what does Paul say? When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I spoke like a child, right? But then I grew up. You know what? The Lord is calling people, calling his people to maturity. What's the mark of spiritual immaturity? What's the mark of spiritual childness? And we're supposed to have childlike faith, right? Because we can look at a child and see, boy, they trust God. They walk, they walk in humility. They, they just trust. But what is, this, what is the mark of... But the Bible also says we're to be mature, literally, adult-like, spiritually adult-like. He wants spiritual adults. What's the mark of spiritual immaturity? It's all about me. Immaturity. I say that right? It's all about me. I mean... Like, I got, I got three kids. I haven't noticed them lately worried about me. I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, seriously, Dad, did you have a good day? How are you doing? How are you doing, Dad? How are you doing? What's going on with you? Dad, how can I pray for you? Right? Now, that's appropriate. That's appropriate at a certain age of development, isn't it? But even in a natural way, God created the world so that sons would become fathers and daughters would become mothers. There's a natural progression that God created embedded into the world. Well, it's supposed to happen spiritually as well. That's why Paul talks about the word, uses the word maturity a lot. That's exactly what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I was easily angered. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, I was impatient. I was rude. I was selfish. Right? The, evident, the, 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 uh, the presence of those things is evidence of spiritual maturity. I mean, we, really, right? So next time you do that, just say, oh, I'm acting like a spiritual infant. It's not about me. It's not about you. A spiritually mature person who's received the love of the Father, then fathered by a great dad is not is realizing it's not all about me is it and they know it's about Jesus and the gospel the man and his mission love is to be concerned with others is it not love is to see the needs of others to put others first to recognize let me say it this way Okay, fine, your boss is a jerk, but he needs Jesus. Let's just say it that. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's just a random example, you know? Fine, your family members get under your skin, but they need Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? Because it's not about you. What is it about? It's about the inheritance of Jesus. It's about the fact that he has 90, he has 100 sheep. He has 100 sheep. And he looks at all of you and says, I love you. You are great sheep. 
You are great. I love, you are wonderful sheep. And I am so glad that you are here. But someone's missing. Someone's missing. Stop. Everything. Stop. Someone is missing. See, okay. Like, my son is amazing, by the way. Okay, like, my son, he's five. And, like, he swam under the water yesterday for the first time, diving in. It's great. Brave. Wonderful. He serves people. Got Citizen of the Year Award. Like, servant. Like, he's amazing, okay? I just want you to, I just want to make sure, preface that. And, in fact, actually, he's really learning some really good stuff about his attitude and stuff. But, you know, there are times where, like, him and Emma are playing, and they're, they're having a great time, and Emma gets hurt. And I want to know, I want to, how, what happened to Emma? How's Emma, right? And, like, inevitably, in fact, I think he's getting better at this, because I've probably gone on his case, <clears throat> Inevitably, it's like, I didn't do it. Well, this is, this is I, I didn't do it. And, you know what I say to him? Stop! That's what I say, probably that loud, too, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, not like trying, I'm not like mad at him, but I'm like... And I tell him, this is not about you. This is not about you. This is about Emma. Just stop thinking about yourself for a second. This is about Emma, right? I mean, would it be appropriate... Okay, let's just say, let's say like... I have some needs, right? I, I, oh, I've got some, I really need your help right now. I come over, I'm talking. I just need your help. There's nothing wrong with that, right? We all have needs. We need to be a family, amen? Love one another, care for one another, listen to one another. And, 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 and you need healing and Lord and amen, right? So there's nothing wrong. I don't, mean that, I don't mean that your needs don't matter, of course. That's not what Jesus is saying, right? But, but let's say I, we come, you come over to my house. Or no, I'm sorry, we'll do it other way. I, I come over to your house and I'm talking and I'm just sharing my, I need, I, need you, I need you to help me, you know? And all of a sudden, Sandra's missing. Instantaneously, what matters? Sandra, I don't matter in that way anymore. We'll get back to my needs later, amen? Now, I mean, obviously in the scheme of life, Jesus is so good, he can care about you and care about others, Right? He can take care of the 99 and he can take care of the one. He can meet your needs and cause you to meet other people. You freely receive, freely give. That's why we live in a lifestyle like that. But I'm just trying to use an illustration. That if immature people, it's all about them. They don't even see the world around them. They don't even see the people around them. And Jesus is trying to tell Peter, stop thinking about your needs. Just a second. This is not about you. This is about Jesus and the gospel. I've been thinking a lot about what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's obviously a lifestyle, right? It's got to be. Something Changes my life, the way I live, right? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. But thinking about that, I'm convinced. That I, this is, I mean, this is like my summary. I'm convinced. It's a person who's become completely obsessed with Jesus and the gospel, with his kingdom, with his interests. Somebody, what happens, what happens when you fall in love? 
Right? Most of us, we've been single, started dating. What happens is you fall in love. Right? Some of us longer, further back, you know, have to jog your memory a little bit. Don't you become a little obsessed? A little, just a little obsessed? Most of us who fell in love, you start thinking about that person. You start spending what? Exorbitant amounts of time with that person? Yes? Sometimes too much, right? Sometimes that person becomes an idol. We've got to deal with that as another thing. But let's just say like two Christ followers, okay? Jesus is at the middle. But they think about each other. They want to learn everything about each other, right? They tell each other stories. They go places. They do things. And, you know, and it gets really like all ridiculous. Most of us who are around people who have just fallen in love, you know, know, they want to be all like, you know, lovey-dovey and everything, you know, newlyweds and all that. No, it's all good. It's a good thing. We need to keep cultivating that in our marriages. But you said, what happens when you fall in love with somebody? Your whole world changes, does it not? Okay, you were single. You were on your own, just doing your own thing, wishing, hoping, praying, some of you. And God is going to bring that person, by the way, in the name of Jesus. So, in his timing. And then that person comes. And you're excited, and you're dreaming about the future, and you're hoping, and you're wishing. And, I mean, you fall in love. It changes everything, doesn't it? It changes the way you spend time, does it not? You're not just spending time by yourself. You know, you're like, hey, let's go out. Let's, like, let's, let's be boyfriend and girlfriend. And then you like, never spend time with that person. Like, that's just weird, right? That just wouldn't be normal. Okay, you see what I'm saying? Like, like you want to be with them. You spend time with them. You fight. No, you know, that's a good thing, right? You work out stuff. You figure out what life is going to look like. You, you're like, oh, hey, let's get married. You know, you, it changes everything, does it? Changes what you think. Changes how you spend money. Don't you start spending money on that person? Gentlemen, right? Right? Hey, you just start spending money, and then you get married, and then you have kids. It changes everything, Right? My whole life is different because I have got, fell in love with Michelle, got married, had three kids. Wonderful, right? Changes everything. I'm convinced it's the same thing or in a greater way, obviously, in the kingdom of God. That when you've left everything for Jesus and the gospel, it will change everything about you and your life. Jesus and the gospel, his kingdom. What do I mean by that? Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. What do I mean? What, I, what do I believe that that means? Think about it. What's, what's on your mind, Jesus? What are you thinking about, Jesus? Well, why did you come, Jesus? Well, why did you die? Well, why are you going to come back to earth? What's going on in your heart, Jesus? Is there anyone that you're concerned about? What are you doing today? What's your plan, Jesus? What are you thinking about? What do you want? Because a person who's come into relationship with Jesus, who's left everything for Jesus and the gospel, is going to be concerned about what he's concerned about. Yes? Do you see what I'm saying? His kingdom. His kingdom. And what is his kingdom? I mean, it's when he reigns on earth and he is Lord, but it's people coming to him, getting saved, right? That's why we lose our life for Jesus and the gospel for the message, for the mission of bringing people to Jesus. You cannot separate those two things. And I'm arguing that our life has to revolve around the kingdom like a planet around the sun. I mean, so many of us, our lives, it's like the gospel is like Pluto. We're not even sure if it's a planet or not. You know, like, I mean, they pretty much said it's not a planet, right? It's like, 
It's like, no, 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 no. We have to become consumed, obsessed, centered on, orbiting around Jesus and the gospel, the kingdom, his concerns, his desires. And so you fall in love with someone and you find out what what do they want? Jesus, what do you want? What does he want? The Bible makes it very clear. He's not willing that anyone should perish, right? Makes it very clear. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, right? I didn't come to condemn, but to give life, right? And so in the same way, we say, yes, Jesus. Yeah, I want to do the same thing. I want to give my life for Jesus and the gospel. Just turn to Mark 10, just like two chapters over. Mark 10. Another time he says this. This this rich man comes up to Jesus and asks him how to have eternal life. How can I have eternal life? Rich man, right? And Jesus says, verse 21, Mark 10, 21. One thing you lack... Go your way. Sell whatever you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. And come, take up the cross. Follow me. Oh, well, he doesn't really mean for everyone to do that, right? That would just him because, you know, we're Americans. We don't do stuff like that. That wouldn't be very practical. No, no, no. No, no, that, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. There's no way around it. Luke chapter 12. Sell your stuff, give it to the poor, follow Jesus. This is the gospel. What, 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 why? Why? Because it's an allegiance issue. Because when he's king, he's king of everything. Money, time, relationships, how we spend all of those things. Everything. And he's saying to this man, give it all. Follow me. And what does the man do? It said that he was sad. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Couldn't let it go. And all that does is evidence that he didn't make Jesus Lord. Jesus, of course, was sad about this. And he says to the disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are freaked out. And he says, children, come on now. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. He makes sure like, they understand. Like, it's not about the possession of the riches, but the trusting in them for our salvation. Obviously, the man was basically thinking, hmm, no, can't sell it all because I need those things, right? No. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. The disciples pick up on this in verse 28. They're listening to what Jesus has to say. They're like, okay, he keeps telling us to like, give it all. And we're kind of freaked out about this, like, sell all the money and follow me thing that he just did to this guy. And they say, verse 28, and this is Peter again. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we've left all and followed you. Yeah? Now, that's true, by the way. They did. They left all and followed Jesus. That's a pretty good question to ask Jesus, right? He doesn't, like, rebuke them. It's not about you, right? Because that's not what it means when I say it's not about you, Right? He said, hey, what do we get? Jesus will gladly answer that question, by the way. Gladly. 
Well, what happened? I, I, I'm a, I left it all. What do I get, right? And he says, so Jesus answered them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, listen, for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. You know what he's trying to say? Until you're concerned about what I'm concerned about, I'm not concerned about what you're concerned about. Did you catch that? Until you want what I want, I don't want what you want. Oh, believe me, God wants to pour out blessing. Oh, he's made promises all throughout the scriptures. I mean, can you, did you catch this? He just said, if you'll leave everything for Jesus and the gospel, for his sake and for the gospel, you forsake all for the, to follow Jesus and the will of God. Let, let the kingdom of God consume the way you think and talk and act and spend your money and be in relationship and all that. He says, and all these things shall be added unto you. He promises a hundredfold now in this time. He literally says, Houses. You give up a house, you get houses. I mean, it's just like, it's so clear. People go, yay, prosperity gospel, right? No, like, like, he said it, material blessing. He said it, but who gets this? Only people who have left everything for Jesus and the gospel. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's not like I prayed today. Like, that's not what it's talking about. No, no, I mean, praying Reading your word, spending daily time with God. That's definitely a way to live this out. Just like you would if you were obsessed with a person you were in love with. Spending your money on the kingdom. That's definitely big. Spending time with people who don't know Jesus. That, that's huge, right? That's what Jesus did. Maybe two or three people that were pursuing in a relationship, praying for them, reaching out to them. I'm saying, it, it's going to look like something, isn't it? But that's the question. Do, do you think about Jesus are you consumed with Jesus? Are you consumed with the fact that he is going to come back and rule the earth? He's coming back. Are you obsessed with eternal realities? Are you obsessed with his kingdom, his righteousness? Are you concerned about what he's concerned about? Are you thinking, oh, dude, th- someone's missing. Someone's missing. There's a sheep missing, right? Or has the search party left to go find Sandra and you're at the house still talking about your problems? Wonder why nobody cares about me. <laughs> we do care. But somebody's missing. You know, there's times that my, uh, my children, all, all, all of them except for Joshua, he doesn't talk yet, but uh, they, will, they will ask me for something, okay? I do this on purpose. They, they will, I'll say, I don't know, let's say, for example, I know, I like, uh, a lot of times it happens at bedtime. Uh, go, okay, go up to the back. Go take a bath. Can I have a snack? I, this, is, this is what I say. Go take a bath. I don't answer their question. I don't respond to their question. I don't care. Go take a bath. But can I have a snack? Go take a bath. Really. That's how I am with them. When they go take a bath, guess what I do? I get them a snack. 
Because I don't care what you want until you care about what I want. Now, I'm, I'm not, I don't mean, I don't take that in some weird, that's not some license to be controlling, manipulative, or selfish, or something like that. I, I, we don't mean that at all. What I mean is, there are times to give the desires of our, of, 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 of our kids' hearts. There's times to say, hey, you want this? Here you go. Dad, I'm hungry. Here you go. And there are times to say, do what I said. Yeah? Do what I said. And then, I will do what you asked. Until you leave everything for Jesus and the gospel, nothing. But when you leave everything for Jesus and the gospel, hey, what can I do for you, right? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not until you delight in the Lord do you get the desires of your heart. Because he doesn't care what you want until you care what he wants. And what does he want? He wants people to come to know him. Do you care? Do you want that? Is your life consumed with that? Do you realize that sharing your faith, for example, Jesus and the gospel, he does, is is it not clear that he said for Jesus and the gospel, and that means words, right? Sharing the gospel. I mean, that can mean praying for people to be healed or sharing your testimony or or sharing the gospel. Okay, Do, do you not realize that this really, this isn't about you? Right, right? We've said that already. But listen, this isn't about whether you feel comfortable with it or not, is it? Is it about your spiritual gift? Is it about your personality? Is it about whether you have time or not? Well, you know, I'm really busy and stuff. Yeah, Jesus told me that that's thorns that choke out the kingdom, isn't it? The cares of this life, the busyness of this life, the deceitfulness of riches. It's not about you, is it? It's not even about other people primarily, is it? That, this is interesting, actually, if you think about it. People need Jesus, right? They're, they're, they're lost, and they need Jesus. Hell is a real thing. This is eternal. The stakes are eternal, very high. But think about this for a second. For Jesus and the gospel, this is about him getting his inheritance, his desire. This is about him. Do you realize that what that means? That, that I, I don't need to be primarily motivated to share my faith because people need Jesus. Well, you know, um, well, they, you know they, don't really, they don't really want to, you know, they're, they're, they're like, they're not really interested. Um, since when was that part of the equation? He made them. He wants them. And he is looking for them. Does that make sense? It's not about whether they want to hear it, and it's not about whether they need to hear it, because they do, but they may not realize that. And it's not whether you want to do it or not. It really is first about obedience, isn't it? Sharing my faith is first about obedience. It is first about being concerned about someone else's needs, but more than that, about my king's will it is obedience bottom line no matter what it is about obedience first and foremost but you know you say you say and believe me dave turner says this i want to be authentic i mean i don't want to just like you know i don't I mean i just don't want to like tell people because like i'm supposed to or something i want to be authentic amen michelle and i are actually learning a lot about this i mean wouldn't it be great to actually love people like jesus loves them 
to like care about them and to and spend time with them and build relationship with them and just be their friend. Like no agenda, no strings attached. Like we're not talking about like, you know, like a car salesman. We're talking about being Jesus to people, right? Friends to them, friend, befriending them, loving them, being with them, praying for them, just showing them Jesus, serving them. I, oh, it would be so great if I could be like Jesus. But let's say you're not. Let's say like you don't really care yet. It all starts with obedience. You know, that's how you get his heart. Did you know that? I, I do this with my kids. Back to my kids again. See, I like this. It's good illustrations here. Okay, so my kids do stuff because I tell them to, but I always have in mind the character. Okay, so for example, like, please and thank you. The moment they can talk, I mean, shoot, we teach them sign language. The moment they can talk, please and thank you, right? What do you say? Oh, it's hilarious with Emma. Like with Emma, she didn't, she didn't get this. What do you say? Give it to me. <laughs> what do you say before that? Give it to me? Like, I mean, I'm just messing, but like she was just like, she didn't get that whole thing. What's funny is she's really thankful, but doesn't know how to say please. It's really funny. Like the moment you give it to her, she's like, thank you. Because I don't care until you care about me. No, I'm joking. She's just like my way. Okay. My way. But uh, no, so, I'm, I'm kind of being silly. But anyways, we would teach them please and thank you. Right. Now, what am I teaching them? You do it because I say so, right? What do you say? What do you say? Please. Okay, here you go. Well, now what do you, thank you. You do it because I tell you to. What, what about, I love this too. Oh, it was amazing. Like la, yesterday, John David did some, a little bit of an attitude thing, but he's getting a lot better at this, right? And he went on time out and I talked to him. I said, what, what should you do to make this right? I should say, I'm sorry to mom. Yes, you should. What else could you say to mom? I don't know. So I said, well, I think you should thank her for doing this thing for you that you had an attitude about. Okay, can you do that? Yep, I can say sorry. He came downstairs and he apologized to her and I asked her later and he said, thank you. I said, did John David say anything to you? He said, yes. And she said, and he was really authentic. How many times since he's two years old have we said, well, more like a little bit older, you need, you need to apologize to that person. See, it starts with obedience. Do you see what I'm saying? The kid does something, now go say you're sorry. And then they don't want to, and you make them, basically, as a parent. You're like, fine, sit there longer. And then when they're finally ready, they say, I'm sorry. What's amazing is they grow older, as us, most of us have learned. Again, maturity is love, right? We learn to actually say to somebody, you know, I really, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that to you. I really apologize. And it's real, isn't it? This is what I mean about Jesus and the gospel. You love the Lord, you're following the Lord, and he comes to us even in that place and says, it's not about you. It's about Jesus and the gospel. And he's calling us to do it, if for no other reason, for him. And for obedience to him, you don't understand it. I mean, seriously, gospel with power, I'm sure. Uh, I'm not sure, Dave, how is that relevant to my life? Oh, I'll tell you how it's relevant to your life. It's not about you! It's about people who need the gospel with power. And you go, oh. That's what it's about. It's about us saying, oh, I need to lose all. I need to leave it all. I need to give it all for Jesus, for his gospel, which will always come forth with power, a demonstration of the truth of that gospel. And I need to give my life to that, even out of sheer obedience. And oh, God, give me your heart, for sure. I want to be authentic. I want to love people like you love them. That's a sign of maturity. But the first step is always what he says right here. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Forsake all for him 
and for the gospel. One last thing. Go to Luke 14. I'm just going to... This is one of those intense ones, right? Look at this. Verse 26. Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, sounds like, whoa, that's pretty crazy, right? Now, what people don't understand is he's talking again about allegiance. He's talking about who's my king, who am I in covenant with? When, when you get married, what, what, does it, what, what does the Bible say? For this reason, a man shall what? Leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, right? There is a leaving. As Clint has often taught us in this church, marriage and death go together, right? And he means that in a good way. I just did a wedding yesterday. It was very beautiful. And what did I have them say? Forsaking all others, I promise to be faithful to you. Covenant is all about an exclusivity, isn't it? It's all about exclusivity. It's about exclusively being faithful and loyal to one person in, in the covenant of marriage. Forsaking all of this. You have to die to something else to come into covenant with God. You have to die to something else to come into covenant with even your husband or wife. You forsake something. You leave something. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about covenant. He's talking about allegiance. Why? Because he said you can only have one master, right? Either God or money. Same thing here. Saying you have to leave all other allegiances. I mean, how many people, oh, I can't really do the thing of God wants me to do because I need to provide. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do this. I need to do that. No, he says you need to leave all that for Jesus and the gospel. Does he promise to provide? Oh, yeah. Did, did Peter have a wife? Yes. You know that? Peter had a wife? Did you know? Did you know that Peter's wife traveled with him? We don't know if she traveled all the time. Do you know that Peter's wife traveled with him? Did you know that history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down and watched his wife before him, before he was crucified upside down, killed? That's called leaving all. It, it wasn't, he wasn't celibate, you know what I'm saying? You, you can't take the scriptures out of context. It means, well, I, I can't really follow Jesus because what if my wife dies? Do you see what I'm saying? He's like, no, it's Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's for his gospel, whatever it takes. And his wife, which who nobody really talks about, we don't know anything about, must have also chosen to do this very thing. She died for Jesus as the wife of Peter, giving her life, as well as Peter giving his life. Do you see what I'm saying, though? That, that here's, I mean, that's just the end of their life. But think about this for a second. Peter denied Jesus. He blew it. And yet God restored him, and then he ended up dying for him. Does that make sense? We're hearing these, like, hardcore scriptures that are inviting us to give our whole lives, and Peter, Jesus is talking to people who've left it all, and he's talking to people who are going to deny him. He knows that we're going to mess up, and his grace abounds. But yet he still calls us to this wholehearted devotion, to this full commitment of losing everything for his sake in the gospel. And he's saying, nobody can be higher than me. No other allegiances, no other thing in your heart 
You have to set aside your wife, your kids, money, all the stuff that makes, it's about you. It's not about you. Now, your life must revolve around my kingdom. For Jesus and the gospel. And he says to those people, oh man, I bless you. I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. And that's what he says. I just, I just want to, verse 33, verse 34. The end of here. So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that has that he has cannot be my disciple. Look at verse 34. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in one verse he says, Forsake all. And then in the next verse he says, Salt is good, unless it loses its saltiness. What's he talking about there? Salt is meant to flavor and meant to preserve. He, he's saying that if a person, if a person does not forsake all, they're no good to Jesus or to anyone else. It's pretty much that way. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if you'll give your life for me, be like salt. You'll be good to people. You'll be good to this world. You know, a lot of people, they're like, oh, people don't come, you know, like our nation, people aren't coming to Jesus because there's so much sin in our culture. People aren't coming to Jesus because they took prayer to schools. No, none, none of that's true. I mean, that might be the context in which we live in, but there's only one reason that people aren't coming to Jesus. He said it right there in verse 33. So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. The church is only salty when the church has given everything for Jesus and the gospel. The church is only good to Jesus and good to the world when we've forsaken all. It, it, some of us, I think it's a call to repentance. I think it's a call that there may be some real deep issues in your life where your life orients around you. And there may be where you need to die to that. And give it all to Jesus. It's not because you're not saved. It's because it needs to change. Some of us, though, I think most of us, we want this. We recognize this truth, like I said, as one of the most powerful and freeing truths. That Jesus being Lord of my life brings that freedom and that blessing and causes me to be fruitful and effective in my life. You say, I want to know my calling, my purpose. This is it. Give it all. Lose it all for Jesus. Become consumed with him. So what do I do? I think, I think it's simple. You spend time with him every day. And you go find some people who don't know the Lord. And we do this in community. I, I think it's really simple, honestly. I mean, that's what they did. They left all and they followed Jesus. They, like, he works out the details. Does that make sense? He said, you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. He'll work out the details. Some of you are like, but what do I do? How do I share my faith? Uh, come on, give me some tools here. You know what I think? 90% of life is motivation. If you want something hard enough, you'll figure out how to do it. I was at a conference one time. $20 bill there, lady right here. The guy said, get that $20. You can't walk on your feet. Can't hop, can't walk. Get that $20. It was really fun watching her try to figure it out. Like, what do I do? And what you find out is that your actions manifest what you really want. Did she, she didn't want to look weird, right? 
well, I don't want to share my faith because I don't want to look weird, then that's your highest, highest desire. That's your highest allegiance. Oh, but I'm busy. That's your highest allegiance. Jesus said you don't have one God, God or money. You find out what you really want when you put the two together. Oh, but I really love Jesus. But what do you want more? That's what he's talking about this, this whole time. What I'm saying is he's gutting at, but what do you want more? And all of those things have to die. Oh, but I, but I, no, 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 but I really want Jesus. But what do you fear more? And so this, this lady was standing there, $20 bill over there. She's standing there. She doesn't know what to do. Why? Number one, she wanted the guy to tell her what to do. Somebody just tell me what to do. That's what we do in the church. But I don't know how to do it. We make that our excuse. And we don't want people to think we're weird. That's our excuse. It was really cool though. I think he kind of coached her along. But finally, she laid on the ground and rolled to it. I mean, I was thinking that the whole time. I was like, dude, come on. I mean, I would have been down on the ground like right away. Give me that 20 bucks. Wait. But she did it. Why? When you want something, you'll find the way. I'm convinced. You say, okay, but Dave, what do I do? I'm convinced the people that I've watched, and I've watched people who have changed their lifestyle, changed the way they spend time so that they could get into people's lives. I've watched the people who change, who work hard at this. They fall down, they get up, they fall down, they get up, but they have found ways to reach out to people. They found ways to just, I'm gonna seek the Lord. You know, people like that who have figured this thing out, you know how they figured it out? They might've gone to classes, they might've read books, but why did they do it? Because they were motivated. But why did they do it? Every single one of those people that I've ever seen that just live this out. Oh, they spend time with Jesus every day? No, probably not, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? They probably just get distracted like the rest of us, you know, and we get back on track and we fall down, we get up and we make mistakes. But these, the people that you see, they're like, man, those people are really doing something for the Lord. They're really seeking God. They're impacting people's lives. You know those people? They're people who have done what I talked about today. They're people who made a choice. Man, I want my life to revolve around the kingdom. I'm going to be consumed, obsessed with Jesus and the kingdom of God. And they just go after God. And they figure it out. They'll figure it out. If you really want to spend time with God, you'll really figure it out. You'll figure it out. And if you really want to reach people, just you will figure it out if it's your highest goal, right? For Jesus and the gospel. Amen? For Jesus and the gospel. Let's pray. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me?